money only gets us so far and got to pay people up to a certain threshold and past that point, it's not motivating them to be any better. People get really worried about money. They get really stressed about money underneath a certain point. But once we hit that point, more money, throwing more money at the problem is not going to actually fix it. Hello everyone, I'm Brandon Lewis, a founder of the Academy for Professional Painting Contractors. Joining me today is Morgan Ray, managing partner of Bookkeeping for Painters. Similar to myself, Morgan interacts with hundreds of painting contractors across the nation. And we're going to talk about what we're seeing and what's working and what isn't in the realm of recruiting and hiring in a historically challenging environment. Morgan, welcome to the program, dear. Thank you so much for having me on, Brandon. I love being here. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad because if you're here anyway, you might as well be damned happy about it. So before we get started, tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do there at Bookkeeping for Painters. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I'm one of the managing partners over here at Bookkeeping for Painters. Um, at Bookkeeping for Painters, we do business as Bookkeeping for Painters as well as Bookkeeping for Trades. So everything that we do is accounting services targeted towards trade contractors, but painters really were who we started with and are really our bread and butter, make up about 80% of our thankfully very rapidly growing client base. So um, as you guys have seen, you know, times have been really good for the home services industry the last couple of years and similarly for us. So we've had some really cool growth over here. Um, my role within Bookkeeping for Painters is really heavily focused on advising. So I manage the account management and advising team, super heavy on the face-to-face um, -face interaction with clients. And so I just love getting to talk to painters day in and day out about what's going on out there on the ground and figured this would be a fun time for you and I to chat a little bit about what we've both been hearing and seeing out there. All right. So let's get right into it. Um... Tell me what you're hearing from painting contractors that you work with. I'd be you know, interested to see how it jives with what I'm hearing out there. Um, it, it does differ market to market and company to company and owner to owner. So just give me kind of the 50,000 foot view of what you're seeing out there. Yeah, I think that um, everyone was really surprised in 2020 to see how much demand and production there actually was, and especially in the second half of the year. Um, and so everyone was really on the fence about what was 2021 going to look like? Is that trend going to continue? Um, it seems like a lot of people slowed down quite a bit after the holidays, which is traditionally seasonally true. And it has ramped up dramatically here heading into Q2 and now into Q3. So the really big things that I'm hearing from all of the contractors and talking extensively with everyone about really is about the labor shortage. Um, so, um, you know, like you're familiar for years now, we've been seeing a lot of changing and how we would, how we would gauge and measure the, the profitability of businesses because of the fact that the labor costs have just been increasing so much in recent years. And it feels like that's really spiked up dramatically here in 2021. And on top of that, people are really struggling just to get warm bodies to show up, anybody to answer the job ads, to keep people. I've been hearing a lot of concern about people being poached and having to rapidly adjust compensation plans all over the board for everyone because everyone's panicking about losing team. So that's what I've been hearing and talking a lot about. What about you? Have you been hearing things in the similar realm? It's the same thing. I mean, 
we already had basically what you had is you know 2021 a whole lot of people would not let folks or 2020 a lot of folks would not uh, let people into their homes and then in 2021 uh, in that first quarter everyone who decided that the black death was not at their door still needed to get something painted and so you've got all this pent-up demand from 2020 that comes into 2021 but you've got a third less people in the labor force to, to do it with seasonally mm -hmm. speaking because the government has incentivized people heavily to stay at home and not look for work mm -hmm. and so never has the industry faced both the the difficult obstacles that were left behind from the you know great recession of 2008 when hundreds of thousands of people left the painting industry as as a worker and and then then like a little bit more than a decade later uh they're having to compete with their own federal government as a source of income which who would have ever thought historically that would be like your number one competitor don't worry <laughs> about what the guy down the street's doing worry about what the guy the guys in uh, Washington are doing because if they have their way these people will will never pick up a brush again until mm -hmm. 2035 uh, so that's what we're seeing now the the thing that I do I have seen some some uh, disparities people in rural America are not having nearly the difficulty uh, in hiring as the people that are in metro markets if you're in a metro market it has been tough if you are in a rural market has not been nearly as difficult it depends on which state you're in as to whether or not your state has uh, ended extended unemployment benefits some of that's being litigated in the courts presently in various states and then of course in uh, in the states that have kept that or will keep it until September even though it, even some of those in, in rural markets are, are having difficulties uh, to a degree but not nearly as what I've seen in urban and of course the final thing is it varies a lot by owner uh, a lot of people are just not very aggressive assertive they don't spend much money or time recruiting and as a result when when you're doing what you've always done and the environment gets really really difficult it didn't work before when times were pretty good it really doesn't work now so what do you think owners you know who are looking to to hire painters what should they be doing to out compete other contractors what have you been hearing uh, as people grasp desperately for something that will work what have they been finding that that might give them a little bit of purchase um we've definitely been seeing an increase in working wages um a lot of grumbling around that too understandably because you know up until this point um i think people have had a really the way that people think about estimating and pricing has been very firmly anchored at one point and now the market's shifted so dramatically that I think it's been hard for a lot of people to kind of mentally adjust to that. So, you know, the going rate for wages has definitely gone up because of the stimulus, the things that are pulling people out of the workforce. Um, but the flip side of that is that demand is so incredibly high for a variety of reasons that pricing for anybody who's snapped onto that has really shot through the roof as well because I was having a lot of conversations with contractors who were booked out four, five, six months, booked through the end of the year. And so, you know, the, the advice there is you gotta start raising your rates. So you have to start raising your rates to start bringing more people in because you're underselling yourself if you're so far booked out. Um, I think one of the really big reasons why demand has shot up so much is obviously people are spending a lot more time at home. There are a lot of deferred projects, but also I think like COVID really permanently pushed a lot of people out of the labor market that 
would have otherwise stayed in. And so that's already been the issue in the trades is the silver tsunami of retirement. You know, a lot of skilled painters and craftsmen um, going out, even people passing away and things like that, which have been very sad to see amongst, you know, friends and comrades in the community. Um, but there's an insane amount of demand. And so I think everyone who's catching on is raising their prices in accordance. They are paying more aggressively. And I've also been seeing a lot more people shifting towards subcontractor models or using subcontractors more. So that's something that I wanted to actually pick your brain about a little bit and your opinions around that. Um, it seems like a lot of people that I've been talking to have struggled for a lot of the first part of the year to hire employees. Retention was a nightmare. Getting them in the door, training was a nightmare. Um, I've, I've actually, I have seen this get flipped on its head. Like we were just saying, historically contractors don't spend a lot on recruitment. I have been seeing people throw a ton of money at recruitment and getting almost zilch out of it. Um, and so they kind of in desperation turned towards using subcontractors in the local area more. And I can't help but think this is because the rising retail rates for repaint is driving a lot more people to only consider doing work as a subcontractor instead of as an employee. So that's been an interesting shift. Yeah, I'm seeing that too. Um, there has been a shift to subcontractors. I think it's a a combination of things. Number one, there's so much work out there. Whenever there's a feeding frenzy, you'll find more sharks in the water. Whenever there's like a lot of demand for painting services, you're going to see more people enter the market. Uh, and then also just, I think, from a psychographic and behavioral standpoint, people that that own their own little subcontracting outfit where it's them and a buddy, like they're less prone to try to get on the dole because they are they are their own entrepreneur. They are, they're not going to take unemployment and sit at the house. Uh, there's still a little bit, we are holding on by a very thin American work ethic. <laughs> there's only a, right. there's a few the, the you know, they, they belittle it. Uh, but there's, that is what has kept the restaurants open with three people instead of six. That's what's kept the painting companies open with 10 people instead of 20 is that, yeah. that remnant of people that are like, you know, I'd rather just work. Um, you got that going on. Um, and what we've also found is, you know, I've had to, to shake our guys and say, listen, it, it's great to post online. That is fantastic. That is wonderful. It takes 10 minutes. Yes, you could write, you should write compelling ads. Yes, it should be all about differentiation. We offer a better employment opportunity, not an employment opportunity. Employment opportunities are beside the point now. It's all the things that, that make you want to leave your current employer, such as we, you know, do you hate your boss? I won't be a SOB. It's we pay more and here's how. It's unlike other people that hire subcontractors, we use production rates and bonus pay. And this is what makes us different. It's all about differentiation now. And it it is about um it is about keeping keeping the people you have or or been, if they're out there working and you're trying to recruit, it's it's about stealing painters. It's about finding other subs. I mean, you've just got to compete for it just like you would for jobs. And then finally on the uh, to me, I think the wages question is kind of beside the point uh, because we always teach our guys to just whatever you pay with your average pay rate plus your labor burden, just double it. That's how you get 50% gross profit. So if if labor rates go up, it doesn't make any difference to you. Mm -hmm. what, what, yeah. If paint prices go up, it doesn't make any difference to you. You've just got to, you know, you start with your building blocks and then you price from there. You don't start with your prices and then try to figure out how to, how to make the wages work. And exactly. so people often go backwards there. So um, let me ask you this. Um, have you seen any interesting compensation methods or strategies that, that others might consider or emulate 
to get people in the door uh, that that otherwise weren't, you know, they're in the market. So mm -hmm. it, it's not about getting them to come into the market. It's about how to get the people that are in the market to come to your company. So what have you seen there? Right. Um, well, like we mentioned, the shift towards subcontractors, pricing there is a lot more straightforward. And I think that I'm seeing a lot of contractors leaning into that part of their business because of the simplicity of it. Um, it's a lot easier to control and predict what their costs are going to be for different projects while they're using the subcontractor model a little more heavily. And I've seen a lot of people who were struggling badly with their gross profit margins lean into that and start to see some really rapid success with kind of reining in where their profit margins are. So that kind of positive reinforcement is definitely going to keep people kind of going in that direction. Because of that, and because so much of the labor market now for actually going out and producing the work is starting to become people who want to be self-employed, want to be, you know, a couple, two or three main crews that are subs, I'm seeing people focusing a lot more on trying to hire some of those higher value team members, like the production managers, the crew leaders. And so that's where I've been hearing a lot more of the interesting conversations around compensation. Um, I think in recent years, we've been seeing a pretty strong shift towards for estimators and for project and production managers, um, moving towards compensating as a function of gross profit instead of sales. And I think that that's really key because I think a lot of contractors were getting into issues with paying commissions, especially to estimators based off of just sales revenue. Because it's kind of a little bit of a perverse incentive there, if you think about it. There's, it's all about closing the sales so that you get that commission rather than estimating it properly, making sure that um, all of the, the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed so that everyone else can produce it reasonably and hit the margins that everyone's after. Um, and I've seen that as uh, a pretty good way to give production managers a better incentive to really push things in a way that's going to push the bottom line for the owners, you know, eyes on the prize with the gross profit margin rather than any other metrics. And so I've been seeing gross profit margin based compensation um, plans that are kind of gearing towards paying like a percentage of GP on a sliding scale. So if they don't hit a, per a particular metric, no bonus. If they hit, you know, 42% uh, GP, maybe they get a 2% payout. If they hit 45, maybe it's two and a half. If they're hitting 48 and above, then maybe they're hitting a three or three and a half percent of GP payout for a quarter. Um, so again, I think that that's a pretty great way to try to keep everybody really in touch with what's going on on the production side and still steadily incentivize um, pushing that growth. I, I agree. And we forgot, uh, you know, it's interesting. In the end, compensation money is all well and good. We have a save labor bonus program that not only mm -hmm. that we recommend that guys use that not only compensates crew members and crew leaders for hitting budget or saving labor uh, hours, but it also brings in the things that most men, which is 97.3% of our industry leave out, um, which is all the personal recognition, private recognition, awards, walls of fame, talking things through and, um, and really rewarding people in crew meetings, all those things that create kind of a self-policing culture because mm -hmm. not everybody's motivated exclusively and only by money which right. is something very difficult to get through the heads of, of many contractors that I work with, mm -hmm. uh, all that extra stuff. It's, it's not about just one thing. You got to put, you know, multiple incentives and disincentives around a behavior. If you want to pull those guardrails close enough together, so people don't, uh, run off the road or go into oncoming traffic. Um, and on the, you know, and even when it comes to subs or if it comes to, um, W2 employees, 
I always ask our guys this very fundamental question, and this is worth writing down if you're watching this. If the, if the ones you had loved had been kidnapped and held at gunpoint, and if, and if you couldn't find a crew in a week that could produce painting jobs on budget, if they were going to be murdered, would you do what you are presently doing to recruit people? Would you like post an ad on Craigslist and ZipRecruiter and just call it a damn day? Probably not. Well, hell, I'd get out there. I'd go to the paint store. I'd see people. I'd be face-to-face. -face. I'd drive up in the road. I'd talk to, to, to people. I'd put them on the newsletter. I'd build a database. I'd da-da-da-da-da. Well, how about you damn do that today instead of while waiting for this fictional, awful thing to happen? You know in, instinctively, like if you push comes to shove, what to do, but then people don't do it. And so I would recommend if you're out there, uh, instead of like trying to talk to the people that are unemployed, that if you're really interested in recruiting, you just go directly to the source and you steal them, which goes to the other question that we're going to talk about here. Um, retention. How do you keep your painters from being poached? And mm. what are your ideas on that? Because that's one of the biggest things that I teach people how to do. Um, and especially in this labor market, I mean, you can train them up and that's all well and good. Uh, but you keep them. it's a heavy investment to make. Yeah, it, it, you got to keep them. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about retention in your experience. So we're seeing a lot more of an emphasis on those qualitative life factors because you hit the nail on the head. Money only gets us so far. And um, I think you and I got to talk about this a little bit at Expo a couple of years ago, but a lot of the research around motivation theory really indicates that you know, money is what they call like a hygiene factor. It's you got to pay people up to a certain threshold and past that point, it's not motivating them to be any better. People get really worried about money. They get really stressed about money underneath a certain point. But once we hit that point, more money, throwing more money at the problem is not going to actually fix it. And so what are the other factors that people are actually finding motivating? And, and it's these qualitative quality of life things. Um, time off, you know, some of the contractors are still not doing any kind of paid holidays. They're doing like, you start with me and you get, you know, five days, six days, seven days of PTO, and maybe you get one a year increase. And that's just not cutting it, I think, compared to a lot of the other opportunities that people have out there. Um, so, you know, sort of an emphasis on that, team building, community building, culture building things. Um, what are you doing with your team for the holidays? You know, what do you have um, do you have a really clear guideline and plan for their progression, their career pathway within the business, rather than just pulling people in as a baseline painter and then never giving them any sort mm -hmm. of forward-looking goal that they can strive towards? What's, what's the motivation in getting better if there's, you know, a pathway to that's not been made clear? I agree. And uh, don't be a SOB to your people. It's tough. Um, <laughs> it, maybe for you, it's not for me, Brandon. <laughs> well, you know, well, you've never employed a gaggle of painters. Uh, so in, in, in all due respect, ma'am, in all due respect, <laughs> you've never managed a gaggle of painters. So, uh, if you, so it, you have to be consistent. It's the stern and loving parent. You got to be there when they need help. Uh, and it, and you've got to positively reinforce when they come in on budget, when they do good things, when they get positive customer satisfaction reviews. It can't just be the only conversation you ever have with them is when the crap has hit the fan. Additionally, having your ducks in a row, operationally, having an ultimate crew leader packet, 
well-ran agenda-driven crew meetings, uh, not being emotional, but being focused exclusively on outcomes, being consistent with everyone, not playing favorites, and mm. getting people together um, and corporately, just like you would uh, in a civic organization or church or anything else that has a long-standing history of bringing folks together to, to kind of have that allegiance to a cause or to a company or to an organization. Those are all important. And so often, like we just want to find a body, find a house, put a body at the house, repeat. And that's just not attractive to people moving forward. And if you want to keep people from being poached, one other good thing is to not send them to the damned paint store. Uh, oh, do not there. send them to the paint store. That and is the flip like, side is if you're looking to poach, where do you hang out? If you're looking to poach, go to the paint store. The only reason you should be in the paint store as an owner or well, just as an owner, your, your painter should never be in the paint store. The only reason you should ever be in the paint store as an owner is to either steal painters or to try to generate referrals. Hmm. That's it. That they, they have these things called deliveries. You've heard of them. The trucks, oh. they bring the paint directly to the job site and or your office. They have these things called order sheets that you can fax in, send in, scan in, mail in, text in, mm -hmm. mail, whatever you want to. And, and it keeps them... Uh, keeps you out of there. And if, if you spend an hour and a half at the paint store, uh, just a week, just goofing off, ordering paint, you will have spent one month of your working year at the damn paint store. Stay out of the paint store and keep your painters out of the paint store too. Um, so really, one more ahead. quick note on that too, that I've been talking to a couple of people about lately with the retention piece is that most of the contractors really struggle with spending a lot of money on recruitment and they feel like they get a gaggle of people in and they lose them all really quickly on the front end. Um, and honestly, this is something that we actually struggled with as a firm when we started really scaling up our staff too, is we were finding that it was very overwhelming for people who were coming in and we realized that we had to reorient the way that we onboarded and started to step people into the work. And the mantra really became like, give them a lot of small wins at the very beginning, like give them that psychological boost early on. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of managers tend to be very strongly self-directed people. They don't like to be micromanaged. And so their management style tends to naturally lean towards like, we're going to do a little bit of a throw you into it, trial by fire. It's okay. If it doesn't work out, I'm here. I'm going to coach you through it. And I think that that's definitely my natural management style. And I really had to stop and pivot and think like, how can I just pad this cell <laughs> for somebody coming in here so that this looks and feels so much more uplifting right at the beginning, positively reinforced being here for the first couple of weeks to get them through this painful phase of learning everything and getting oriented around everything. Because I feel like that's where a really huge portion of the drop-off is. And if you can if you can get people past the first few weeks, your chances of keeping them are going to really skyrocket after that point. Well, most companies do not have an orientation video. This is what we're about. This is what we expect. This is what we expect on the job site. Here's Here's the short list of things that are critically important. Can I get your sign on uh, an agreement for it? Here's a safety training. Uh, let me bring you into a company meeting where you can experience our culture and figure out what's going on. Let me put you with a mentor in the field. Uh, one of our members, Trent Husky, has a very interesting uh, methodology for compensation that I like a lot. And uh, he has specific roles with specific pay ranges. And every specific role has a list of competencies and responsibilities in addition to a bonus program. So when people come in, they know what they can earn. They know what the upward progression is. 
It's all spelled out. It's and then that way people don't come to you every three minutes looking for a raise or whatever, in which case you can point to the pay structure and say, if you'd like to move up, here it is. And we can mm -hmm. test you and 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 take you through these technical and non-technical uh, skills assessments. And if you make it, we can compensate you more. And so a lot of those things you just it's hard um, in our industry in particular when you go from being a technician to a crew leader and then typically the, the path is business owner and all the stuff that goes around business ownership is left out and we still tend to, to try to do what we did as a crew leader to make the company work when in fact all these other skills that have nothing to do with painting or project management are really what's essential to be successful. So on hiring and, and recruitment, um, you know, you talked about keeping a, a, a balance between profits and pain or pay. And we discussed that a little bit with my very simple, non-nuanced formula. But what are your thoughts there and what are you seeing? We tried to, our, I tell all our guys, 50% gross profit, 30% cash flow to owner. That's how you need to orient your company. You may take a slight dip. If you bring on a, or bring on an operations manager or uh, an estimator until you grow into that from a revenue standpoint, that might be a temporary six month, 12 month lull. But aside from those instances where you bring on a fair amount of organizational overhead, you should be able to hit those metrics. What are you seeing? Um, I think people have real low expectations for their gross profit, which probably has to do with their low percentages of repeat and referral work or poor sales systems, all of which contribute to hitting 42 instead of uh, 50 which is a big yeah. old difference. And you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is gonna vary a lot based on um, the kind of the cohorts I think that we're talking about. So the metrics that you're throwing out, the 50% GP, 30% profit to owners, I definitely see it. I definitely see a lot of high performing. So I always tell people, you can hit this. You know, I've, I have some painters that maybe there's a little bit of magic in the mix of what's going on in some of those scenarios, but I definitely have painting contractors that are pulling 40%, 45% profit to owner. Like it's, it's really, really impressive to see and it's sustaining. I've seen it for periods of time. Um, however, the majority of the industry, the, there's the averages, which are not what we're aiming for. And then there's what we coach people towards, which is like, what are your healthy benchmarks? This is the healthy baseline that you really have to get to in order for all of the other growth pieces. So the healthy baseline that I always advise people on is really we're looking for around a 40% gross profit margin is what I would consider minimally healthy. And once I see businesses starting to consistently hit that 40% GP, I find that that's where they have enough breathing room to really invest in further strategy and further growth and development to push past that point. So I feel like that's the first marker that I always throw out there for people, that 40% GP. And because that number has shifted historically from the last five or 10 years where 50% was much more doable, Everyone who's hitting that 40% gross profit margin, um, they're, they're doing a healthy net profit or discretionary earnings towards owner um, by really cutting down on their operating and their overhead expenses. So that's what I'm seeing across the board is that all, all of the contractors are starting to run much more lean on the operating expenses than they ever have been before. So it's a classic case of, you know, we fit to the plate that we're on, you know, we, we shift things around to make sure that it, it's all where it needs to be. Um, and so for profits to owner, the healthy baseline that we say, we track it as discretionary earnings. So it's that, that, um, that metric of the owner's salary as well as the net operating income combined. And we say 15% is the minimum baseline. If you're a franchise, 12, 10 to 12 is kind of what I see as the minimally healthy. 
but again, I see a lot of high performers in that realm too. So um, that's where we start people. That's like our, this is the win that we're looking for now. <laughs> and then we can start building on that. So that's kind of what we, what we like to discuss. Well, I think a lot of people get caught up in, well, what if I don't get the job? Well, if you've got limited capacity, better that you only close the ones that are at 50% gross profit. And if people say, no, that's great. Because if you've mm -hmm. only got 10 painters and you're used to having 20, and for example, I have a thing called a cash flow projection sheet, which just simplifies everything. And that's what I have our guys run their businesses on. And one of our members the other day was like, oh, we're at 44. We're trying to get to 50. And I said, like, what do you mean you're at 44? Well, that's right. It's not that big a deal. It's just a few points off. I said, really? I said, well, let's, let's change this cash flow projection sheet. And it took his monthly earnings from 18,000 down to 10. I said, is that really, is that not a lot? Not half of almost what you're making, bud? Mm -hmm. Focus on operations. This is not, right. this isn't small. This isn't like, you know, a, we overspent on postage this month. Right. This is bigger yeah. deal. And so we, we focus back on that, you know, fast forward 60 days, he's up to 50%. It's like, I didn't realize by moving things six to eight points that it would double my income. I said, like, yeah, well, it's all the money at the end, buddy. It's right. not the money at the beginning. And so I would say to all of you out there, do not have low expectations on your gross profits. I do not have low expectations because if, if you can't be the if you can't be the cheapest in your market, be the most expensive. Be the most expensive, uh, and find that optimal close rate, not the maximum close rate. Mm -hmm. So, any other thoughts on recruitment that you would like to share, Miss Ray, as we close out this program? I think the last thought is one that we probably hear cited a lot, but it's always worth a reminder, which is that. Some of the best recruitment opportunities that you have are going to come from your own team, the people that already work for you. Humanize yourself, humanize the business by getting to prospective recruits through the people that already work for you and incentivize them for bringing in good people. You know what? That's a closing thought, but I've got to tell this one because I forgot about this. There's so much, so much. We could, we could talk okay. for another... I don't know, 18 hours, but you know, who has, time for, who has time for that? Right. So one of the biggest things, and if you, if you've taken nothing else away from this call, but a migraine headache, uh, then I recommend that you do this every time you interview someone and people really drop the ball on this. When you're standing across from one of these guys that you're interviewing, I want you to say these words, you know, I've really enjoyed interviewing you here today. Let me ask you a question. If you were putting together your own painting team, and if you were going to work with somebody on a crew, somebody that was fast, somebody that was ethical, somebody that was honest, um, if you ever worked with anybody like that in the local area and, and talk to me a little bit about what type of characteristics they had, and they'll go on, well, I work with this guy named Bobby, and he was da-da-da-da-da. Who else have you ever done? Is there anybody else there? I've ever done it, and you were trying to know Bobby, Earl, Jose, who the hell ever. And then at the end of that, so you got these four, it said, do any of these guys still live in here? Well, yeah. I said, do you have any of them in your phone? Yeah. Could I have their phone number, please? I won't tell them who told me to call. I won't, whatever. I mean, if when you're interviewing someone, if you don't get two or three other names, which makes your life a third, you know, makes your life 300 to 400% easier, you are missing the boat. That is, what you have to remember is that hiring and recruitment is marketing and sales. And your typical, most people will bend over backwards to close a $100,000 deal. But if you're charging 60 bucks an hour and they're 2,000 labor hours, 
that's $120,000 in revenue in labor alone, not counting the other 16 to 22,000 that will be in materials. So round that up to about $140,000. That's a, you're sitting in front of a $140,000 job and people act like it's a big monumental inconvenience. And I think one of the big things that contractors need to do is shift their focus and get as excited about landing a painter as they are about landing a commercial exterior. And I think they would, you know, probably put a little bit more time and effort into it. So shift your mindset on that stuff and always ask for referrals. So for those that, those of you who actually watched to the end, hopefully that'll be helpful to you. Solid point. Morgan, it's been a pleasure. How uh, would people get in touch with you at bookkeeping for painters? If they're tired of screwing around with their books, if, They've had a, a CPA that only raises his head once a year when taxes are due, can't give you any information to run your painting business on because they don't understand the industry. Uh, if you're tired of that kind of mediocre non-value ad bookkeeping and or uh, tax service, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, for anyone who's tired of wrestling paperwork um, and yeah, really needs great information, the best way to get in touch with us is to go find our website bookkeepingforpainters.com, double O, double K, double E. Um, you can call us. The business line is 800-605-1921. Or you can just email me directly, morgan at onlinebookkeep.com, double O, double K, double E. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. Um, I appreciate all that you do at Bookkeeping for Painters to support the Academy, and I can't wait to see you at the 6th Annual Painting Profit Summit, which will be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, or thereabouts, just north uh, the last weekend in January. So we'll be having that puppy. We're actually putting up the event page now. Last year, we were the only industry event to go forward. We braved, braved the water. We, uh, half of us died. Half of us died last year. And it was, and year, it was so. still a hit, smash hit. <laughs> The repeat repeats are going to be real low this year because we lost half of them yesterday, last year. We'll probably when we have it this year, we'll probably lose another third. We're going to be down to a small group this year. No, we'll we be with us in spirit, right? <laughs> we had tons of people. Nobody croaked, to my knowledge. Now I, I can't promise you know you take your life into your own hands when you walk outside these days. Um, but at any rate, I hope that y'all can make it down there. Um, we will be there. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've been, I've uh, enjoyed talking with you, Morgan, and I hope everyone else has too, with this edition of Ask the Expert with Morgan Ray of Bookkeeping for Painters. Until next time, I'm Brandon Lewis, signing off.